on the floor, now my jewelry box froze Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove, counted millions in a cold Bad bitch, booted swole, got her on bankroll Can't fold, that's a no, headshot, case closed What is up guys, it's Andy Purcell and this is the show for the realists Say goodbye to the lies, the fakeness, and delusions of modern society And welcome to motherfucking reality Guys, today we have a very special full-length episode uh, I'm gonna get right into it and we're just gonna get going on it Yeah all right, guys, so we have a very special guest on the show today for our full-length episode. I told you earlier this week we were going to have an awesome full-length for you guys later on this week, and uh, this is it. And um, we are very excited to have the man behind the films that we've been talking about, Agenda and Agenda 2, uh, that I've been you know, screaming for you guys to watch for the last three years, uh, Mr. Curtis Bowers. How Thank are you, man? Thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, before we get into what's going on with the films, and you know, if you guys haven't seen the films Agenda and Agenda 2, you have to go watch them, all right? And my hope is that if you haven't watched them yet, after we've talked about them at length on this show multiple times, that you will go after you listen to this and watch these shows, because they are very, very, very informative to what's going on. I think they'll be very eye-opening to some of the things going on in the world. Where are these currently playing? Are they still on Amazon? Yes, you can rent them on Amazon. If you'd like to buy a physical copy, it's agendadocumentary.com. Okay, cool. Um, so let's start at the beginning, man. Like, you've been at this for a long time. We were just talking before the show about <laughs> how frustrating it is to be putting out this information for so long and dedicate such a massive part of your life and then to still see it materializing. Um, what got you to pay attention to this and where did this, this first come from? Well, I was raised in a family that were, they were attentive, they were paying attention, they were involved in what's going on. So from a young age, I, I knew how the world really worked and my parents were great at just encouraging us to stand for the truth and you know do what's right. Um, but I think the main thing was in 2008, um, I was a representative in Idaho in the legislature, and I started to notice that even in Idaho, where there's a, we had an 85% majority. I mean, it's a dream that will never happen again in America. You'll never have an 85% majority in the House, the Senate, and the governor. And we couldn't get a piece of Republican legislation through there to save your life. And I was like, what is going on? And I started to dig in more. And and, and one of the things that it, it reminded me of as I saw the legislation coming through is back in 1992, uh, an older friend of my father who was from St. Louis asked me to go to this meeting that the Communist Party USA was having at the University of California, Berkeley. And he had studied communism and written books about communism back in the 60s and stuff. And he was curious because if you'll remember back in 1989, the Berlin Wall had come down mm -hmm. and everyone was saying communism is dead, it's over. Then in 91 in December, the Soviet Union dissolved. And so this is six months later, the summer of 92, and the Communist Party USA is having a meeting. So he asked me to go out to this meeting. He said, would you go out there and just see what they're talking about? Because we, we won. This thing's over. And so I went to that. And for three days, I sat there in breakout sessions and lectures and, and listened to these hardcore communists. And one thing shocking about it, too, I thought it'd be college radical since it was at Berkeley. So I dressed like a college radical with some radical T-shirt <laughs> on. So I walk into the auditorium 
there's 14 or 1,500 50, 60, and 70-year-olds with briefcases. Wow. And I thought, whoa, this is actually serious. It's not just some radicals. And, and many of those exact people, as I researched them later, ended up being in Obama's cabinet in 2008. And that's what motivated me to make the movie because I realized, wait, these are the people that were at this communist meeting with me back, back in 1992. But at that meeting, they laid out this plan, how they wanted to take America down from the inside. They were going to focus all their energies on that now. They'd been focusing on it for a while, but they realized they could never outspend America because capitalism and free enterprise is so successful. And they kind of, that woke them up. Okay, we got to go to plan B. They they just keep building more and more. And of course, we had all the years of Reagan where he'd really built the military up. So they realized we're in trouble here. Um, and so that's what they talked about, the mean, how they were going to do that from the inside. And I didn't think that much about it, went on with my life. But then again, 16 years later in 2008, from 92, when I remembered what they had talked about, like one thing uh, that is so clear how it had changed, they had said back in 92, we're going to use the environmental movement to take down the free enterprise system in America. And in 92, that didn't make sense because that was not a big movement. Mm -hmm. It was literally people, you know, chaining themselves to trees in Oregon so mm -hmm. they can't cut them down. I mean, it was nothing. And so I was like, how would you do that? But in 2008, an Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore to come out. It was the biggest movement in the world, and it still is, um, because they realize it's the ultimate vehicle for totalitarian control because it's a global problem, so it demands global solutions by a global government. That's that's the way they look at it. So they, that's why that issue will never go away, no matter how many facts we have and how many charts we can show them. Hey, it's not going up, and if it went up a little bit, it actually would be good. Warm, warmth is the friend of life. Cold is the enemy of life. Oh, all the logical things that they don't. Um, but from that, I wrote a letter when I was a representative on that communist meeting in 1992, and it just blew up into a huge thing. And one of the men that responded to that and said, what Representative Bauer says is true, but it's nothing new. It, that's not from 1992. It was all written in a book in 1958 and I got to know the man, and it was, of course, the book, The Naked Communist, and it had the 45 current communist goals as of the 1950s in America. And I got that book for the first time in 2008, so 50 years later, and I read through the list of goals, and as I did, I couldn't believe how specific and how purposeful and how premeditated the, 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 the collapse of our country had been. It had been people in groups for a hundred years working to take us down from within. And I just, I couldn't believe, as I read through these things, one of them, goal 17, this is from 50s America, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism, soften the curriculum. Well, people wonder, why do all the kids want socialism today? Because mm -hmm. in the 50s, they said, we got to put socialist ideas, we got to push it. So these kids think it's good. And think it's wonderful. And so, because they know, all the hardcore communists know, you have to transition through socialism before you can go to communism. You cannot go from a prosperous free enterprise system to communism because the problem is in the prosperous free enterprise system, you and all the people own all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they can't, it's like, how do we get this? They have the wealth, they have the guns, they have the property, they have, we got to transition into socialism where we slowly get control of everything. Mm -hmm. And then it's easy to flip overnight, especially if you can disarm them. Then overnight, 
it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. You do what we say or you get a bullet in your head. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's and that happened over and over again throughout the 20th century. So it's not like some new strategy. That's what they did to most of the countries that fell to communism. And a lot of people don't know this during the 20th century, like 65 or 70 countries that fell. That's how they fell. They did not. The tanks didn't roll in and take them over. They stirred up their radicals, stirred up the college professors to stir up the young people for, for freedom, for, for you no, know, it's not a just government because it wasn't a perfect government, whatever country it might have been, like Cuba or something. No, it wasn't a perfect government, but it was pro-American. They had a lot of freedom. They were prosperous. But the people there stirred it up and said no. And so when what happens is the communists do that, then they put up their puppet as the guy that's for the people. And the people usually vote that person into power. And then once they get the levers of control, they the iron fist comes out and, and like Castro did, it started slaughtering by the thousands, anyone who resisted in Cuba. Do they not, they not just slaughter the people that resist. They also slaughter the people that are useless, which is the people that they allow to, to propagate for them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. Stalin, one of the countries that he uh, took over, he had everyone in the country line up and stick their hands out. And anyone that had calluses was allowed to live and go start working in their fields and stuff. If you didn't have calluses, that means you're an intellectual, you're a thinker, and they executed you. Wow. Like you're dangerous because you sold out your own country. You were pushing these socialist ideas in the universities that allowed us to come to power. But if your own country can't trust you, we sure can't trust you. And they heaved execute them immediately. Um, so no, no, a communist despise weakness. They despise pathetic leadership like Biden's and like Jimmy Carter in the 70s. I'm shocked. I think it's just the grace of God that the communists did not take us over in the 70s because they could have taken us. Yeah, um, We had such pathetic leadership. I know if Brezhnev would have called Jimmy Carter and said, 10 of your main cities are going to be gone tomorrow morning if you don't surrender, he would have surrendered. But they knew the American people wouldn't surrender. And that's why it didn't happen. Yeah, Because he goes, no, there's 150 million armed citizens. We can't take them. We might be able to take this pathetic government, but we cannot take the people. I think that's still the case. A hundred percent. No, that's what, in our side, doesn't talk about that enough. The right to bear arms isn't just a right or so I can go hunting or target practicing. and Shoot deer know, with Kevlar vests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Or I need a 30-round clip for deer. It's not, the 30-round clip is not for deer. Yeah. As our founders told us, it's for tyrants. When they take too much power, you are there to stand up against them and loving your neighbor by by saying, no, sorry, you can't do this. And so that's what it's for. But our side doesn't talk near enough about the fact that the armed citizenry in America is the single greatest deterrent far beyond our military that we have to stop an enemy country from taking us over. And it's not a new idea. It's not a new concept. Like, no. It's an obligation that's been around since 1776. Exactly. But it, it, it's, it's written it's into the, the Constitution thing. as a duty. It's, that's what it's an obligation. Yeah. We, like, we have to do it. That's right. And, and, and so, but we should talk more about that on our side. Yeah. See, yeah. this is for our country, the, the, the survival of our country. That's the main thing that stops China or Russia or any of them from attacking as they go, no, you know, their militaries, you know, yeah, Biden's kind of dismantling it and they're doing all this. But the people, the, the American people, and they all know, every everyone knows that's into military strategy to take a people off their own property is close to impossible <laughs> because they will do any they have everything to lose well, i think they tried that though right like especially when yes. it comes to the the gun 
conversation, and we, we've talked about this on the show. It's like they're, they're they have to get public opinion on 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 board with whether whatever it is. And how do you sway public opinion to uh, view firearms as negative? Would you create and manufacture situations that are going to pull on the purse strings of emotions of the people? Right, like that's right. Mass shooting, school shoot, like I mean, you name it. And I think the the hang people always get hung up on this point of thinking that these people, these communists, these tyrants have morals. A, a, a classroom full of kids means nothing to them. Nothing. No, right? that's the, the yeah. A that's... village in in, in in you know a thousand miles away means absolutely nothing. That's and, right. And if the the end result is getting people to believe that hey this is bad or this is wrong or I support this or I stand with this, if that is the end result, that's the that's the objective. They don't care how it how how what happens or what has to happen to get there. That's, that's right. what people get hung up on all the time. And what greater way than to stir up the youth? Because the youth are the ones that can be convinced that they're being, uh, you know, unjustly treated Mm -hmm. because all youth grows up and has nothing when you're young, right? right? So they look at the young person, they say, look at these guys, they all have all this and you have nothing. Look at you. Well, yeah, you're 15, bro. (laughs) Like you're not going to have much, you know, but what you don't real, what they don't realize because they don't have the perspective is their, their opportunity is being taken away through their own messaging that they are being manipulated into creating, yeah, you know, and yeah. that's the dangerous thing. That's why we do this show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you write this letter and you, I, you had to get some pushback. Like, what was the initial, I guess, response from, from everybody after the, after that letter came out? Well, a lot of people were totally in favor of it um, and wrote me and called, left messages on my answer machine saying, thank you for standing up for something. But the left, of course, which was a small minority at that time in Idaho, it's changed a lot recently because of all the Californians moving in. But um, at that time, uh, they realized I was dangerous. Mm -hmm. So that's why they organized protests at the Capitol and things. They realized someone that will just speak truth, not worrying about what people think about it or whatever, that's uh, someone we, we we need to get rid of very quickly because that, that's dangerous. Yeah, to- I, I, I just pulled this headline up from uh, from 2008 when you read it, yeah. uh, when you wrote that letter. For January 27, 2008, Representative Bowers should apologize or resign. Exactly. You know, and it's like, am I, like, and that's one thing that always perplexed me. It's like, you know, how is it possible? How is it possible that in, in, in at UC Berkeley, that 1,500 people with this evil ideology are even allowed, you know, obviously I get the freedom of speech. I get that portion, right? But it's just like something that completely contradicts the fabric of this country. How is that allowed to even breathe? Yeah, well, it just, it's because of our freedoms, they've taken advantage of that. Our enemies realize, okay, we can come in there and use their own laws against them. Mm. Well, we're going to have these meetings. And it started so long before that back in the 30s the communist party usa was a massive force back in 1932 the head of the communist party was a man named william z foster and he wrote a book called toward soviet america and where he outlined in that book he goes if we want america to be like the soviet union here's what we need to do and if you read that book today 90 years later it's unbelievable. They've done every single thing in there. Mm. They took over the schools and they got into Hollywood. So they're involved in the entertainment world and in the media and the culture. And they started changing us as a people from within. So all of a sudden, the socialist idea that had normally just been 
abhorrent to an American. Like, what are you talking about? That ends in death and destruction every time, which it does if you've studied history. Um, it all of a sudden didn't sound that bad to a younger generation that didn't know anything about anything, <laughs> purposely having been dumbed down, you know, in the educational system. Yeah, yeah. So, so you write the letter, you get the pushback. So what 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 happened? Like, so when did when did like okay, let's make this documentary, let's make agenda, right? Yeah. How where did that come in at? Yeah, so I started, to, I came across these goals and I started to dig in and study more and just even remember a lot of what my parents had taught me growing up. And I started to realize, wait a minute, the American people need to know we have an enemy from within and they have a very specific agenda. They have given us in writing of what they want to do and they are checking all these boxes off. And I had studied communism in my life because I was raised by parents that understood it. And I realized, I don't think Americans know where we're heading. And I don't think they know what that world looks like when you get there. And so I felt, man, I need to do something to awaken the American people. And I didn't know what to do. I thought, oh, should I write a book? And I'm not that great of a writer. And and I'm, I'm a Christian. That's where I'm coming from. And I, and I started to just feel this burden. I'm like, God, you how do you want me to get this to the American people? And he just started pressing on my heart. You need to make a movie. And I was like, I don't know how to make a movie. And I'd never done that before. And I, but I, as a Christian, I prayed earnestly for six, eight, nine months. God, do you want me to do this? And I knew clearly, yes, that, that I, that's what he wanted me to do. And I, um, and, and so, uh, I, I went to this little film academy. I saw this three day film academy in Texas that was coming up. I thought I'll go to that three days of training. It'll be some kind of help for me. And when I went there, I met a lot of young guys that were into film and they were only 18, 19, 20, and they knew a lot of stuff. So I realized, okay, you don't have to have done this for 20 years because these guys are young and they know how to do it. So I got a lot of great advice from them and I came home and, um, and I just told my family, we homeschool our kids and, and do everything together. And, um, I said, you know, our next project, we're going to make a film. And, um, it was just a neat process of, of how, all the things came together to make that a reality and to happen. And my kids praying about it regularly and different things that happen to, uh, I don't know, in our Christian faith, it just God strengthened that through just him directing our path so clearly and so obviously blessing things. I'd have people come and I'd do an interview with them and they would just say stuff that I was like, oh, this is incredible. And I knew that was just a gift. I was like, and then the putting it together was was a, a tough road and process because it was, again, never having done it, and I didn't know anybody that did it out in Idaho where we lived. It was just blood, sweat, and tears. But it was two years full time, working on it every day to get it finished, and a uh, um, lot of lot of neat stories through that process of of things that happened that were just a blessing. But I finally finished it. And uh, we entered it in this film festival in Texas we'd heard about. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of a neat story just real quickly here. But my, my kids had been fasting and praying every Friday for nine, for 22 months that this film would win. And I know if, if someone's not a Christian, that sounds crazy or whatever, but God is God. And I, he's there. I know he's there. <laughs> um, but it was amazing because we went to this festival, the first film we've ever made in our life. And it had a $101,000 grand prize. And it came to the last event of the evening, the best of festival. And they called out our film, Agenda Grinding America Down. And as we, as we left the stage, I told my kids, I go, I can't believe God did this. 
And my oldest daughter, who is the one who would recommend that we pray about this, she said, Daddy, I knew the first day we prayed God was going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's why he did it. And I gave them the award. I said, this is yours because you had the faith to believe that. But it fits into us today because we need to have the faith that our efforts, when we do what's right, all your principles on the walls out here, when you you go the extra mile and you love your neighbor just because you're supposed to do that and you do what is right because it is right. It's not to get a benefit from it. It's to do it because it's what's right. God blesses those things. I think whether you're a Christian or not, he does because it's pleasing to him when people do things the right way for the right reasons. And, um, but yeah, the film then started to take off all over the place and we traveled as a family all around. And um, it was a great blessing to, to be there to influence and encourage people to start standing up, start educating their neighbors, start, making a difference and stop taking for granted the precious freedoms we have been given here in this country where we don't understand what they cost. Um, Especially once you lose them, the only thing that gets them back when you lose them is blood. That's it. It's the only thing that gets rid of tyranny is shedding of blood. Um, And, and to have not taken that seriously, what what was already done in the past for us. um, I, we've really tried to encourage people to, (laughs) Keep keep standing for the truth. It does make a difference. Absolutely. What um, you know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking and hearing you describe all of this, and it it just makes perfect sense, you know, to use the environmental movement because, like, right, <clears throat> most people are good people. Most people do care about the environment, Absolutely. and you know, I think when people hear the truth about the you know environmental movement globally they automatically jump to the conclusion that you don't care about the environment at all. Exactly. And that's not true at all. No. Like we all care about the environment. We care, we understand that it's important, but what's happened here that I think people have to realize is that it's been weaponized to be the Trojan horse for the implementation of communism. And it's been very easy to manipulate people around this idea because people care about it that's and people right. are good. Right. That's like, right. Who wants to take care of the planet? We all do. You know, who wants to make sure that the planet's in better shape for our next generation and the generation after that? Most of us do. So it's a very easy thing to get people behind. And I'm curious what your take has been in terms of, you know, because this is an emotionally sense and it's made to be it's have it's made to have been this way. They have intentionally gotten people so sensitive about the environment that anytime you push on that agenda at all in terms of it being a Trojan horse, these people get angry. And what's your experience been in terms of, because I know a lot of people now are really seeing the corruption and they're seeing what's happening. And I've had people, you know, we talked off the air. uh, You said you have people apologize to you that thought you were crazy, right? I've had the same thing. DJ's had the same thing. And I've had a lot of people who were hardcore environmentalist people actually realize that this is actually what's being used now. What's your experience with that been? Have you, have you noticed the same or? Oh, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a total scheme. One of the first red flags to me was Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the ruthless murdering communist dictator, the last one of the Soviet union. When he stepped down from that, he moved to San Francisco and started an environmental group, green cross international. No, so way. like, 
Whoa. No uh, way. Yeah, they all jumped in. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah. Miguel Gorbachev moved to United States. Yes. Personally. Yes. And he and started a, a climate Green program. Cross International, a, a Holy big, huge shit. nonprofit to push that right when he stepped down from the Soviet Union. But also, I flew up to Vancouver, British Columbia to interview Dr. Patrick Moore. And if you don't know that name, he's the one that founded Greenpeace. So he cares about the environment. He was out there stopping the Russians from, uh, you know, killing the whales and all that stuff. He cared about things. And I went up there and I said, Dr. Moore, why did you leave Greenpeace in the 80s? And he said, and he's, you know, uh, just he's up there. He's not an American or anything. He said, because the communists came in and took it over. All their goal was is to destroy capitalism worldwide because it was a vehicle to imp implement communism. So this is a guy up there that's not into this you know, communism or Americanism or he anything. Was, he was generally into the he environment. Just yes, whales. and he still is. <laughs> yeah, no, and he cared, but he, I saw he really, had, he was a real environmentalist, and he's mm. still doing things up in Canada, but, but common sense things, yeah. like teaching Canada to manage their forest. Right. He goes, it's the greatest single resource we have. We should be thinning the forest and cutting the dead trees and planting new to keep them healthy and strong. So he was into real things, but so that was another key when I talked to him, I go, he said, no, they came right in and they said, all we're about is destroying capitalism. And so he had to leave his own group, Greenpeace, because it became so radical. But here's, here's something everyone has to understand. It's so important because again, this issue is not going away, no matter how many facts, no matter if the world starts cooling, no matter whatever happens, because you cannot step down from a movement called saving the planet to something else, you'll lose all your troops because that, that sounds so noble. Mm -hmm. Here's the three facts about it. The foundations of it are this. Number one, the bedrock of the entire modern environmental movement is carbon dioxide is a pollutant, which if you didn't go to government schools, that is laughable. Carbon dioxide is plant food. It is fertilizer for everything that is green. Here's some facts you might not know. I studied this. Um, right now, the level of carbon dioxide in the world in the air is 400 parts per million. Well, that doesn't mean anything unless you realize, well, what's the optimum level? The optimum level of CO2 for everything that is green, if you care about what's green, is 1,600 parts per million. We're at one-fourth of the optimum level of CO2 in the atmosphere for everything that is green. That's why greenhouse growers pump in carbon dioxide into their greenhouse greenhouses to double, triple, and quadruple it because then the plant growth explodes. It doubles. Plant growth doubles. So a tomato, inside, a tomato plant inside a greenhouse will produce twice the amount of tomatoes as the exact same plant outside the greenhouse if you can quadruple CO2. That's how vital it is. An oak tree will grow to full maturity in 25 years instead of 50 years. So their underlying premise is a complete lie. But this, this is key before I go through the other two. When you brainwash someone, which Marxists are excellent at doing, brainwashing is the process of teaching everyone the opposite of the truth. Like 1984, the book, you know, yeah. black is white, white is black, freedom is, is slavery, yeah. slavery is freedom. You always teach them the opposite because it, it's hard to pull someone out of that. When men they, are women, women are men. Exactly. So if you, exactly. That's so if you, if you tell them a little lie, they can recover from it. Mm -hmm. But when it's the opposite of the truth. So carbon dioxide, that's nonsense. We don't have near enough carbon dioxide in the world. We're at the bottom level. If it goes below 150 parts per million, Everything green dies, which means everything dies because we all eat what is green or what eats what is green. So that's one thing. Then the next lie is, is global warming something to be feared. 
the top real scientists say man has hardly any effect on any of this anyway, even CO2 production or anything. But if we could warm the world a degree or two, it would be the greatest single blessing we could provide. Because what would happen is there'd be hundreds of millions of more acres in Canada and Russia that you would be able to farm. And, and the lie that warmth is not the friend of life is crazy. If you ever go down to Ecuador, I was down there one summer with my sister, and you're standing on the equator where it's the hottest place on earth. And you notice something real quick. Life loves warmth. I mean, the biodiversity of plants and animals down there is unbelievable. Everything is thriving. Everything is booming. And then you go up to northern Canada or Alaska and you realize, oh my goodness, cold is the enemy of life. There's only a few species of plants that even can survive, a few animals that can survive. And so again, it's, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. They tell us to be scared of warming when we should be scared of cooling. Cooling is deadly because then you don't have a long enough growing season, so you can't grow enough food. That's horrible. Warming's wonderful. Um, and then the last thing they tell us, because I think this thing is satanic at its core. Um, I agree. It, it is. It's, it's yeah. evil. It's Agreed. when you allow kids to be starving in Africa and all the things because you're, oh no, we're, we can't let them to have electricity uh, because it might add some more carbon dioxide. So they can't even have refrigeration. So they can't have preserved food. So every day they got to find something to eat and all the problems that come when you're not modernized. Um, but they tell us there's too many people on the planet. But here's the reality. If you study and talk to demographers, who, who are, that's the science of populations, and it's a science because you can't have more adults in the future than you have children today. So it's an exact science. It's not a theory or a hypothesis or anything. If you talk to them, they say, we're getting ready to enter a age of depopulation like the world has never seen. People have rejected the blessing of children for 50, 60 years in all the European countries. America now is finally below the 2.1 uh, children per woman you need just to stay stagnant. We're at 1.8. And so you see, yet the only reason the population is still growing a little bit is because of modern medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we're able to live longer. Life and so it's preserving sure. life. But as soon as this segment, this generation of elderly die off, there's not the population to replace them. It's going to hit about 9 billion. We're at 8 billion right now. And then it's going to start dropping like a rock for hundreds of years if we don't change anything like by having more children. Um, and that's devastating to everybody. Adam Smith said 200 years ago, he goes, you cannot have a growing economy with a declining population. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's mathematically Everything loses its value. Correct. Your home's not worth anything because there's more homes than people. So okay. no one can sell a home because there's plenty of empty ones. Well, that makes sense why they want to depopulate because they understand it destroys the economy. And and that's the goal. Right. Yeah. Yes. What's well, their well, number one goal? Because because yeah. they know there's too many people to control too. Mm -hmm. They go, we got to cut seven billion people out of this picture because it's just too many people. Well, and I think what gives is. these people the right to think that they can control this? Like that's the thing that I keep having. Like, like how, why who, them? Who, who said them? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. what kind of arrogant, egotistical piece of shit are these people that legitimately believe that? This is why I say this on the show all the time, guys. These people believe we are cockroach, cockroach insect infesting their home. They don't see, they, for some reason, when they look in the mirror, they see themselves as better than everybody else. As gods. Yes. Yes. And they see us as the, you know, legitimately, 
the stream of ants that are stealing their crumbs and they're trying to put raid on us. That's right. Like hundred percent. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The amount of like, like I can't even imagine believing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it's it's it is a warped, perverted view. I mean, Karl Marx. Right? There's no fixing. You that. read Karl Marx's writings. Yeah, he, he thought like I'm the one that should rule the world. I mean, I'm the only one smart enough to tell you what to do. You don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what to do. Just obey. That's why they love. That's what the masks were all about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do oh, anything yeah. medically. If you read medical studies, instantly you see right when the COVID started. I read them. I have a lung issue, and so I read. Hey, I didn't know if this was going to be a serious thing or not. And I read some studies on masks. It says it doesn't do anything to stop the spread of a virus. So I realized, okay, that doesn't do anything. Um, but they keep pushing it. But they know it doesn't do anything either. So right. then, because they've been to medical school, it's a compliance so realize, exercise. Okay, this is submission. Right. Mm. You and then then put on two. <laughs> it's just t- they're I forgot about the us. double maskers yeah I forgot it's about total, those guys no he went from none to one to yeah. two it, it's bro mocking. people were wearing Culligan water helmets on their head at the grocery store I know like no. like Dude. let's let's be real let's about just take a moment real quick people were walking around were standing in bubbles Dude. like legitimately blo- inflatable bubbles giving relatives hugs bro I know like we, we we've forgotten how ridiculous this was yeah and and like Curtis is saying, this was a compliance exercise. This was for them to have a visual representation of who would comply and who wouldn't comply. And the problem with this is, is that very few of you actually believed it worked, but you went along with it anyway because you were afraid of getting yelled at by some asshole at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's a big problem. That's well, a courage I, problem. Yeah, well, I think I think to that though, right? Like you know, they understand the psychology of humans, right? And so, like one of our needs as humans is this sense of belonging. I don't want to be the outsider. I don't want to like you know all these biases. See, I have effects. no problem with that. Yeah, for sure. But like, it's yeah. not a common thing, right? No. And so I think, especially if you get people in a group setting, the sense of belonging, the need to belong, the need to feel a part of whatever this is and not be outcasted, it, it dramatically increases. Well, dude, and we've seen they it over know and that. over and over again, DJ. It's the thing. Whatever yeah. the thing is. I'm on it. COVID. I don't want to Black be the one square, off of it. Yeah, Ukraine. Absolutely. Vaccine. Now it's the Middle East. It's the thing. Yep. These are all compliance exercises and brainwashing techniques that, yes, have real-world consequences. No yeah. one's saying that innocent people are dying in the Middle East right now or in Ukraine. Or any of these things, yeah. but the reality is, is the way that they, the way that they weaponize these movements, is a, is, is a, what, what, how I see it, is they're taking the temperature. How much do these people are they willing to comply still? Where are we at? Can we do this? And then while we're evaluating how compliant the masses are, which they are becoming less and less compliant, which needs to happen at a much faster rate, they are using the opportunity to push us further into the agenda that they have, which is one world global government communism, which is it's led by the World Economic Forum. Okay, it comes from all these people who are over there in Davos, who make these rules, who all think like Marx, who think that they rule over us. And, And dude, like we as American people have to get smarter and a little bit more courageous to say, I'm not playing this game anymore. Yeah, yeah, dude. Curtis, to your point, too, on, even on the depopulation point, right? Because I think it's a little bit deeper, and I, I would love to know your input on this. I think it's deeper than just people are not having kids, right? I think when, when if you keep, if you understand, and we can say, okay, well, this is their objective, right? Eventually throw off the global, you know, capitalistic structure, right? Depopulate humans. 
it's not just people not wanting to have kids. When you look at how they've infiltrated the, the food industries, the chemicals that they're putting in our foods and our waters, that is Absolutely. literally sterilizing people en masse. You know, oh, the testosterone right. levels of men have declined. At, you 50%, know, I believe, over the last like 30 years or yeah, so. Yeah, since 2000. Yeah. So yeah. Since the year 2000, it's, the average testosterone in a 30, uh, tw- a 20-something male, male, yeah. male yeah. right now is the same as a 60-year-old male in the year 2000. Yeah. And that's only ago. 20 years. Yeah. No, it's chemicals, it's fragrances that are synthetic. It's it's all the stuff. Yeah, they're pumping in because they make a fortune from big pharma mm-hmm. on, on us being sick. Yep. Um, they get total control when they make us dumb. It's it's all the different things. Again, the educational system isn't to help raise sharp, individualistic, courageous young people. It's to create a, just a submissive, dumbed down, feminine man that just does what he is told. It follows I mean, that's, direction. That's, that's yeah. what it is. So that's, but it's all purposeful. No, absolutely, it's purposeful. Well, and they work these other social construct movements into it, like feminism, right? Yes. Like you, now, these guys are subservient to their women. They they have removed every bit of you know courage, protection instinct, strength, honor, commitment from a man, and and basically put them in a secondary role in the household to a woman. Okay, based around the idea of feminism. Mm -hmm. And we have, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's look at the average man right now. Go to a grocery store and count how many of these men look like they could actually like do something uh, that mattered. Mm -hmm. Could they could they fix something at home? Could they stand up for you in in an actual violent fight? Look at it. Look at them, guys, because they're they're so rare. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent. It's it's very. It's, I mean, it's it's frightening how rare it is. Yeah, they wanted fat, dumb, and lazy, and I mean, they got it. That's been the goal for a yeah. hundred years. Just slowly. That's why the PE programs in our high schools yeah. have gone. You know, back in the fifties, they were so rigorous, yeah. and so you know, and they've just been dropping them, dropping them, dropping them. We can't make them do anything now. They go sit on the playground for an mm-hmm. hour, and that's their PE. Yeah. So they're not getting any exercise. Then they go home and play video games. And sit there all day eating junk food, and so it just yeah, it's just unraveling. Well, then you throw on top of it the removal of the uh, of the cultural, you know, excellence part of it, right? Like I grew up in a generation that I think was the very last generation where you were taught that achievement and drive and ambition and winning and competition and being first place was a great thing to achieve. That was a, that was a, the minute I got out of school, it started going towards participation trophies and you know moral inferiority if you were ambitious right right. um it's crazy how they've weeded this out culturally and and it's so quickly too yeah dude real quick and people don't even notice it they think it's they like you know how many people you walk down the, the street that like legitimately think that you know ambition is a bad thing and that drive is a bad thing and that being masculine is like some sort of bad thing like it's a shit ton of people dude like a lot yeah, they've been brainwashed. That toxic masculinity yeah. because they knew that's their number one enemy. Yeah. Back in the 1930s, even the Frankfurt School, one of the groups that my movie talks about, they talked about that. They said, we're never going to be able to get these children away from the parents in the families where the father is leading the home. 
They go, we, we got to pull him out. We got to get him sidetracked on other things, sports or whatever. And then we got to create enough inflation so the mother has to work whether she wants to or not so we can raise the children. Mm-hmm. They were writing about that in the 1930s. And, and now you have them on the White House podium saying these are our children. Mm-hmm. Exactly. These are not your children. They're no. our children. That's right. You know, um, you know when Coming I, from the White House. Yeah. That's right. Legitimately like three months ago. You know, one one thing that I always think back to is right, like every now and then you'll see one of these pictures pop up. So this is a picture of like a 17 year old in Vietnam, mm-hmm. right? And like knowing that like that was that was that was the normal here, right? Like just this peak male, right? Like I mean, he's 17 year old, he's got muscle tone, and he's out fighting a war. You know what I'm saying? Compared to what our 17 year olds look like now, they're dressing up as fur babies and 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 furries <laughs> and stuff. It's like how do we get there? Like, and it could like, and to just, you know, for this conversation, it couldn't just be this one way that we got to this place. It's all these different facets on all these different fronts that they've been able to use to get us to exactly where we are right now. And it's not an overnight process, right? Like no. they've been planning this stuff for years. Oh yeah. for It's been going on in earnest for right at about a hundred years. So that's why, but most people have just awakened maybe since COVID many, or that's what woke me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So COVID woke a lot of people up. Obama woke up a, a kind of a first wave of people when he started talking about shared prosperity. And I knew people, stuff was wrong. Yeah. Like I knew something was off. Right. Yeah. Like when Obama came in and he started giving away uh, socialism, I'm like, this is not right. This is not America. I, knew I just thought I just thought it was a, a one guy yeah. thing, you know. But then I started like paying attention more and and. and you know, t- like I paid attention to the cultural standard of s- specifically around achievement, you know, how achievements have been villainized and how, you know, it's weird because they've they've sectionalized it, too. You know, it's OK to be number one draft pick. But if you want to go out and build a great business, you know, you're a, you're a greedy piece of shit. Right. It's OK to be a movie star and make a billion dollars. But if you work your ass off for 30 years and you build a billion dollar company, you're just a greedy tyrant. Oh, you're greedy. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So that it's like it's compartmentalized into these little areas where, where it's still OK when it comes to like entertaining the masses. Right. It's still OK to be the best gladiator and kill the most people. But if you do that in your real life, you're a problem. And I started noticing that. And, I, and then when COVID happened, that's when I started like when I'm like, whoa, this is total because so many young people. I'm 44. When COVID happened, I was 41. The so many people have not been alive long enough that are now adults to understand that that's not how we react when a pandemic happens. And that's right. what like the red light flipped for me. Right. I, I was like, wait a minute. We've been through pandemics before. This is not what happens. This is not what we do. We take the elderly and the, right. and the sick. We tell them to stay home and we continue to go out and work and be smart. And that was the opposite of what we did, right? What we did was instead instead of protecting the vulnerable, we we made everybody shut down, yeah. right? And I'm like, this is this is not this is not what it is. This is not what's going on. And so that's what woke me up to like, okay, what's happening? And then I started noticing the psychological manipulation around the mask, and I started noticing, and like, you know, I've been in business for 25 years. I'm a pretty perceptive person, and, and I was able to learn pretty fast. But it wasn't until I saw your your films that I really put together what was actually happening and that this was all just a part of this way bigger plan. Yeah, way. And that's hard for people to like to understand. It is. You know, they think they it sounds crazy. Like it sounds crazy that there's a group of people that live in our world 
that think that they 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 have the best ideas and they can they sh- they have the right to legitimately ruin people's lives and kill people for their own personal prosperity. Yeah. Like that's not a that that's not a that's not a, a thought or a belief that most humans have. Oh, I know. And no. because we don't have it, we don't think other people have it. But that's there's right. no, yeah, no. and there's a segment of people out here that are very evil. Yeah. And like DJ said, they have no remorse. No. That's right. And they take advantage of us because they know we are like that. Yeah. Well, we don't think like them. So they yeah. we always give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, they must have just been ignorant about that. They, there's no way they could have purposely done something that caused all this. Well, that's why Biden's the perfect guy for these oh, guys. Oh, yeah. No, it's perfect. Because <laughs> everybody looks at him and they say, look at this guy. He's senile. He's too old. He's too this. He's too that. No. Yeah. He's intentional. That's intentional. That's right. No, but it's mocking us again. They can't, why do they have cabinet members that are all idiots? I mean, you go, anyone would go, this is not a very sharp person. And they're, you know, head of the defense or whatever. I think it's literally mocking us. They're putting people in power. They're just to, to make us just. It's just demoralization. Go. It is. Demoralization. It's, for us, it's for us to look at our own country and say, this is not worth fighting for. That's right. But I think they learned from COVID. It's the single greatest thing they've ever done to take the most ground in the quickest and shortest amount of time. Mm. And so Bill Gates, last October, one year ago, right now, he had a conference called Catastrophic Contagion 2025, where he went in detail Mm -hmm. about the pandemic that's coming in 2025. It's going to make COVID look like a joke, and it's mainly going to kill young people. Yeah, Sears. Yeah, Yeah, because that scares people. When little kids start dying, that's that's fearful. Uh, When a 90-year-old dies, it was already sick with cancer or something. And what's that tell you after what we just witnessed? That tells me that they are going to actually launch that of course i yeah. mean that's they think we they th- th- their thinking is we're going to tell them about this so when it happens we'll go oh yeah they they kind of told us this would be coming not thinking like well you can't predict these things this is yeah. not a predictable thing the exact virus and exactly what it's going to do in the exact time like they do with trump see i they actually think i actually think what they're going to do my particular opinion on this is that they're going to launch that and then what they're going to do is they're going to blank because children are going to die. Yep. Okay. If they launch that. And then what they're going to do is they're going to blame the children's death on people like us who have been standing up against them, rally the public into like getting rid of those people and removing their resistance. That's the what I think their play is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or they'll even tie it into climate change and stuff. Yeah. No, the virus wouldn't have spread if we didn't have climate change. They turn everything yeah. to their advantage. Every single thing, even when you think that doesn't it make, make any sense. sense. Because they know they control most of the information. And so when most people are getting most of their information from them, they know if we keep propagandizing them, we keep giving them the pills that are going to make them believe this or that, that scenario, then we've got them. And so, no, that's where, I mean, they, they've been they've been at this a long time and they're very good at it. That's why we need to be respectful of that, of them in the way of, of take it seriously when they say things like that, because they, they mean business. That's one thing of, of all my study of communism. I guess one of the main things I took away is these people are satanically dead earnest about their plans. Mm. Nothing is going to stop them type of thing. I mean, they the commitment they have, if we had half of that commitment, 
they wouldn't would, be able to do anything. They would vaporize over. They would be nothing. Um, but they are committed. I, I, I'm shocked. <laughs> what, what's your take on this? Because we we talk about this quite a quite a bit on the show. Is that you know I think we were approaching. It's like every time I I, I feel that the temperature of Americans. Every time we get close to any sort of accountability, holding these sirens to accountability, and the people are waking up. Okay, and like. Okay, we're seeing the face of our enemies come out slowly and surely. It's like it gets diverted or there's another distraction that comes up. There's something else that happens. Um, how do we like I mean, how do we make sense of that? Like, how do we how do we stop them from skirting around this accountability? Because it's coming. And, and what we say is that these tyrants, they know what account- accountability means for them. So what are they going to be willing to do to prevent that? Anything. Anything. There's nothing off the table. That's what, again, once you get that in your mindset, you realize we're up against an enemy that will do anything for victory. Slaughter young people? Absolutely. Create another pandemic? Absolutely. Create a world war in in hopes that America will get nuked? Absolutely. Anything is on the table. All they care about is power. We want absolute totalitarian power of every human on the planet, period. Even if they're ruling over the ashes. Exactly. Right. Karl Marx himself said, I want to be the great destroyer who walks through the ashes of the earth. I mean, that's the end of this. It is satanic where you destroy everything, but you're there just to show how powerful you were to do it. Hmm. So you're not creating anything. You're destroying everything. That's why I know it's satanic. It's it's an agenda of a, a destruction instead of building up, building a business, building a family, building a good marriage, building good friendships where you're you're holding your friends accountable and encouraging them and what's right. All that stuff. No, they they're just breaking it down, destroying it, poisoning it, perverting it changing it and and that's what we've got to live in the opposite way and say no way i think that's important what you just said we have to live in the opposite way that's right a lot of people think that someone's coming to save us or there's going to be a champion politician that wields some sort of magical wand that fixes this entire scenario that's not going to happen no the only way this is going to be fixed is if we do live the way that we're talking about that's right a lot of things that people don't understand about freedom and the main thing being is that you have to claim it. It is not granted to you. Okay. So if you don't claim freedom and you don't live a free existence, it will cease to exist. And this is something that people fail to realize. They believe that somehow this is a, a granted uh, right by another man. Yeah. Here you go, Andy. You're free. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> not what this is. You have to live it. And you have to live the standards that what when you think of like a great American citizen or a great human citizen, because this is a worldwide problem, you have to think of what that looks like. And then you have to work to live that. And that is in all areas of your life. That's the solution here that we have to have. Now, there might be some other parts of it that are less fun uh, that, you know, well, fun to who? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I'm just saying they're going to be difficult. People are probably going to die. Yeah. Okay. But the reality is, is that if we don't live, if we don't start living it, that we we have no chance. It's over. The That's game's right. over. That's right. No, and, and it's it's something that they've tried to brainwash in us into believing. Those that love America, love truth, love their families, love their communities, that one man standing is not going to make a difference, which is a total and complete lie. In the Soviet Union, there was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. 
who was a famous writer, and he had spent most of his life in the gulags over there, and he would slip out his writings, and they would get sent to America and be printed in these incredible books about what life was like in the Soviet Union. But his last essay he wrote when he was finally leaving the Soviet Union, being brought to America, our government put enough pressure on him to get him released in the late 70s, he wrote an essay to all the people that lived in the Soviet Union, and it was called Live Not By Lies. And in that essay, he, he encouraged them. He said, listen, we can no longer live by lies. We can never be silent in the presence of, of, a, of a lie. We have to start standing up. He, and he encouraged them in this essay, and it's wonderfully written. But he said, if you're in a meeting and someone states a lie, you must stand up and walk out. If you're at the theater or at a movie and something that is not true is said, you have to stand up and walk out. You can't, your silence in the presence of a lie makes it look like you agree with that and you're going mm -hmm. along with that. And he goes, only until we have the courage to live not by lies, where our life is going to be the truth. The things I say I believe, they, anyone analyze my life will go, that's what he believes. I can tell by his actions, that's what that man believes. And until we're willing to do that, um, it's we're we're part of the problem mm -hmm. when we're sitting there silent when yeah someone's squawking about the mask mm -hmm. when you say ma'am have you read the medical studies well if you haven't here's a copy of one I got one in my car here it's a total lie and we have to be able to one person at a time educate them by living the truth but being willing to take the time with some of the people that aren't the brightest and the and haven't studied things as much to to educate them and say look at this do you see this. Here's the truth. You're being lied to. And I and I don't want you to be lied to. And so, but but anyway, he wrote that essay. It started to circulate around the Soviet Union. And by the early 80s, they were starting to have the first protest ever that they'd had in the Soviet Union because no one had ever had the courage to protest in a communist country before. But from that essay, people started to say, if they kill me, they kill me. And that's one of the things that helped them go to plan B in the Soviet Union because they started to lose control more of the people. Uh, because of that essay that motivated them to live the truth, just be, stand for the truth, speak the truth, but live the truth where you're consistent in everything you say you believe. I love that. What would you say to someone who is hardcore environmentalist that doesn't believe that this is communism, but believes that this is, you know, what we're saying is, is just an attack on environmentalism? Yeah. Like what? Sure. Because I know I have a lot of friends, man. Like I have people in my family who have de dedicated massive parts of their life to environmentalism, right? But I wouldn't say that these people are communists. No, no, no. Um, like you said earlier, it's a cause that we all believe in. If you just asked me, oh, do you care about the environment and nature and clean air and clean water and I'd go, absolutely. Yeah. I love taking hikes in the mountains and doing 100%. So they know that. So they pick the issue everyone cares about, but then they customize the the things that were going to be a solution to this problem to be things that help them gain more power and control. And all you have to do to see that is you start looking at the things they're putting forward and you start to realize even the windmills and the solar panels in the EV, the electric vehicles and things. It's not sustainable. They're, they're more polluting than gas-powered cars. If you look at the mining that has to be done to put up one windmill, the amount of pollution created to do that is 10 times the amount of pollution that that windmill will save in its life. So you go, that's a lie. 
You're just, it's a lie. And then when you look at, you know, with the solar panels, same thing, the amount of mining, that's a great idea, but I think we're still 10 years out from being able to do that in a way that we're really reaping the harvest of the sun. And it will be a great blessing when, when we can really capture that energy and it's an endless uh, source, which is wonderful. But the electric vehicles, just the mining to make those batteries mm-hmm. and the slave labor going into it and the hundred different things, you go, that's evil. Yeah. And it's a lie. And when you realize we don't have enough power in America right now and you want everyone to get an electric vehicle but they're not allowed to build new power plants you, you start to realize oh this is a plan everyone's going to have an EV but only the good boys that do as they're told will get to plug theirs in and charge it mm-hmm. and everybody else no you're going to stay home but as you study them and you study their agenda I guess that's what helps so someone listening to this that really cares about the environment so do we 100% and, and I'm from out west that's where I was originally out in Idaho and all our beautiful forests out there in Montana and, and throughout that area, if you go take a hike out there right now, you'll see almost all the trees are dead standing. And that's not from climate change. That's from not managing the forest. Man is needed to make the creation what it can be and what it should be. And proof of that is you look at any Google satellite picture, you look where man is, where they've dug wells and they have sprinkler systems and they have green yards and flowers and trees and stuff. You say, oh, it's green. And you look at the empty lot in town where man is not taking dominion over that and it's weed patch. It's dead and there's nothing there. We are a, a necessary part to make the, the national forest the most beautiful forest in the world, which they were for a hundred years before the environmental said, no, man could just stay out and then it'll be perfect. It's not perfect when man's left out. You go out West right now and you'll see that. So if you, as you see the things they're doing, it's like, no, th- these things are, it's a lie. It's just smoke and mirrors, but they know there's so much fear involved where, you know, we're all going to die that, we're just going to do as we're told. We're mm-hmm. not going to thought through. Yeah, is what is your plan to save the planet really going to do that? Mm-hmm. Is your claim that CO2 is a pollutant, is that true? And if you look at that one, you will see instantly, any of you, just that one thing, it's a total lie. Yeah. CO2 is fertilizer for everything that is green, and we do not have enough of it. If we were really a green movement saying all we care about is what is green, which isn't a bad thing to be, we would say, no, we want more carbon dioxide and, and, and we want to do what we can. But also, if you study at the scientific level and you get in deeper, you realize man's influence on this is not even 1%. That's the, the bottom line that makes mm-hmm. the whole thing ridiculous is our trying to cut CO2 doesn't do it. Cuts, even if we could cut it to zero, you know, net, net 50, zero, whatever, it would be we'd cut 1% off of it. It's mm-hmm. the oceans and things. So it's it's even the the whole thing is a make work project, but when you see the people behind it that are not living consistent, they're living by lies. Mm-hmm. The Al Gore's of the world, do they have a small carbon footprint because they really believe we're on the verge of a you know, disaster? No, mm-hmm. they have the biggest of anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, Kerry, John Kerry and all these people. <laughs> so it's it, you see, it's a lie. Yeah. And I've followed the communists into the movement. So I realized I'm following the key people. I go, oh, this is just a Marxist strategy for global control. Yeah, I think that's important is to like look through that, through those things, through the lens of control. Because what all can they control if everybody's driving this electric vehicle? Everything. You know, okay, well, you know, hey, Curtis just said some statements we didn't like. Well, we'll shut that as access to, to, exactly. to be able to drive. No. Like and it's it, a lens of control that I think yeah. if you look through that lens, it, it's very, very easy to understand. Oh, and you look at well, the, let's, do the let's just trace. Okay. What's electric car run off of? 
Electric. Okay. How's electric produced? Yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. No, how is how is electric <laughs> produced by the mass majority yeah. of the electric produced on this planet? How's it produced? Coal. Okay. Where does coal come from? The ground. What does burning coal produce? Carbon dioxide. Okay. Like, what do you guys fucking think? Holy shit, bro. I'm so hard. Can we just... I'm smart as fuck. Like, I just passed your little quiz. There. No. I just passed a quiz. I feel pretty good. <laughs> it's not a quiz, man. A this, is, this is called common sense here, bro. <laughs> yeah. I would say you're very, very skilled in common bro, sense. I was, just, I was sweating. I'm glad. Over I'm, here. I'm glad. I'm glad. We, I'm glad you feel smart. But this is pretty easy to understand if you just think it through a little bit. No, That's but real, right. yeah, real shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, this is the thing that I try to to remind these people is like, once these communists, because we talked about this, I've talked about this a number of times on the show. Socialism is a vessel of communism. It's socialism isn't even like really a real thing. It's sort of this abstract target that rotates around communism that allows them to talk about communist goals and dreams in a very soft way that gets people to buy into them. All right. So socialism as a actual thing is very, 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 very rare. It only exists for a fraction of a second until you go to full communism. And so when we paint this picture about you know, how these people believe all of these things and, and, and how they're being manipulated. And then we get them to champion the environmental movement, right? And they don't produce anything. They don't work. Their, their contribution to society is an activist. I think it's important for those people to understand what happens to them once it crosses into communism. Because what happens to those people is exactly the analogy that you said about the calluses. They say, can this person be productive or can they not? And if you're 350 pounds with 14 piercings in your face and blue and pink hair and your whole contribution to society is to run around with a sign and scream at people on social media, they're going to tell you to face the wall and put a fucking bullet in your head. That's what happens. That's why they call you guys behind the closed doors. They call you guys the useful idiots. They say, we're going to use these people to usher in our plan, and once we're in power, we kill them. That's right. And that that is real. Well, yeah, cause, and they're using their sense of belonging so, like, as all these against them, too. Yeah, but, bro, all these activists who run around on with the thing, you, dude, you guys are the first to get killed. That's mm. right. No. And that's Lenin's the one that came up with that term, useful idiots. Yeah. He goes, we're going to use all these people. We'll get them. We'll come to them and act like we're into whatever they're into, but we're going to use their energies to push forward our agenda. And, and so, yeah, they, they're done with them immediately. The United Nations in 1992 kind of laid out this whole thing, too, for people. If you want to go read Agenda 21 by the United Nations on their website, you can see what the future is. They tell you they want to outlaw the private ownership of vehicles. That's in 1992. The United Nations said that. And good old George H.W. Bush was the first one to sign on to get all the countries of the world to sign on. And so you, you see this and you go... Oh my goodness, it's all right there for everyone to see. That's why I called the movie Agenda too. Yeah. I go, this isn't some hidden conspiracy. It's an agenda. There's Agenda 21 right there on the screen. And you go read through that. I've read that entire thing and you go, okay, here's what they're telling us to do. They don't they want to outlaw single family homes. You have to live in multifamily dwellings in the city. Which period. we see that happening right, right now. Right now in the 15 at, minute cities and all correct. that stuff. And also we see this being pushed. If you pay attention to what's happening, like up in New York, for example, yep. where they're asking people to rent rooms or make available rooms for the migrant crisis. That's right. Right. Bro, you let those migrants in your house, they're going to fucking kill you and they're going to rape your kids. That's what's going to happen. 
That's right. No, it's all part of the strategy. A patriotic nation, you have to dilute down the patriotism by bringing people in that have nothing in common with you. They don't even speak the same language. Um, and so they don't have the same beliefs. They don't have the same history and understanding. And so eventually it fractures things so much. It can't, the, this, the culture, the civilization cannot continue on. It collapses because there's not enough to hold everybody together. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. That's what the open borders is all about. Anyone in the world knows it's not a good idea to bring in 8 million new people when the economy is not even doing well as it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just silly. Yeah, who have different beliefs, different cultures, and have no intention of adopting the beliefs and culture that we have here. Yeah. Yes. Zero. Well, they're here to contribute to the economy. No, they're not. Why didn't they contribute to their own fucking economy? Yeah. <laughs> they weren't well, the, contributing the, there. The, the reason they're here. <laughs> how, how? Listen, how do you think these people are getting here? They're mm -hmm. being paid mm -hmm. to come here by their own governments and being... The, the, listen... They are dumping out prisons and they are taking their criminal elements and they are offering them money to come to America. Yeah. Like these are not the other country's best and brightest. No. These are not people that are coming here That's to right. be upstanding members of society. Is there a few? Sure. And by the way, we're not talking about the, the immigrants that we've talked about for the last 30 years, where basically these are just Mexican families that want a better life in America. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is different. Okay, that is a totally different thing. Totally different. That's not who's coming across right that now. That is exactly. Yeah. And like people hear what I'm saying, you know, because I know a lot of people that have come here from Mexico and I, very well, who yeah. are very good people who work very hard and I appreciate very much. These people are not the problem. They are also not the people we're talking about. No. And so they've also flipped this, this narrative around to make people believe that, you know, that good uh, Mexican family that you know who came here from Mexico to become American, to have more freedom and a better life, is actually who we're talking about when we say, hey, they need to be rounded up and sent back where they right. came from. In fact, they are more American than most Americans. Dude, they are. <laughs> they are. Because they're here for the cultural and the the correct reasons yeah. that we all believe in. Yeah, and, and they have so much in common. We have so much in common with them. They're pro-family. Yeah. They're pro-God. They want to be exactly. free. That's the kind of people yes. we want. For our first 200 years in America— the, through the immigration process, we got the cream of the crop of the world. Right. It's the people that like, no, I'll risk everything if I have to. I yeah. want to be free. Freedom means that much to me. I'm going to sell everything I own and go on this boat and hope I can make a li living and a life. So that's that's what made America That's why we look around. That's incredible. Well, that's why when we break down the financial position based on race and ethnicity, uh, white and black Americans are at the fucking bottom. Okay, you know who's at the top? Mm -hmm. Asian Americans, yep. Indian Americans. And you know why? Because these people come here and they appreciate the land of opportunity that we all have more than the people who were born here. So they capitalize on it. Yep. And honestly, those people are needed. We need those oh, yeah, people. Those are great. No, those are those are the people we need legal, to come legal here. Legal immigration yes. is a wonderful thing. That's fine where you're really you're finding out who they are and why they're coming and what skills they have. Will they be able to provide for themselves? There was always questions in the past. We need to make sure these people can survive without assistance because we're not bringing them here as a handout. But since Biden took office, we have had 8 million come in. They're not coming in for opportunity. They're coming in for freebies. Mm -hmm. Oh, I go to America and I get $2,200 a month for indefinitely on yeah. a little debit card. And we've got 10, we've got hundreds of thousands of, of homeless American citizens sitting on the street with no help at all. None. A ton of which are veterans, people who have sacrificed huge parts of their life Maybe they didn't get killed or lose an arm, but 
You know, what people don't talk about enough when it talks when we talk about veterans is the sacrifice they make where they potentially lose their family. A lot of these guys go overseas to fight these bullshit wars and they come back and their wife's got a new husband yeah. and their family's gone. Like we don't talk about these no. sacrifices. These are real sacrifices that yeah. these men and women make yes. that destroy their lives. And, and we're over here giving these people $2,200 a month and a fucking cell phone and they're not even supposed to be here. That infuriates me, dude. That is That infuriates me and it should you too. All of you listening, it yeah. should infuriate you. Yeah, no, so you're bringing the worst element instead of the best element. Um, yeah. So where are we at today, man? Like, what do you, what do you think's going on? I mean, is this recoverable where we're at? I think the, on the good news side is because of COVID tens of millions of more Americans are awake to what's going on. That's mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Anytime you get more people on your side, that's great. I don't think they plan on that. No, they didn't realize how it was going to backfire. And then the shots, all the adverse reactions and the deaths and the miscarriages and the cancer rates going up and all the things that have come about from that. And, the, and it keeps unfolding. It's still going on. Yeah. Oh, it's getting it's worse. Unfolding oh, and the infertility and the everything. But each one of those people that were lied to and now realize it, they're coming over to our side because mm-hmm. no one likes being used. Mm-hmm. No one likes being where they lied to you and your son died of a heart attack at 17. He's an athlete. And like, that's not normal uh, and, and things like that. So, so that's the good news. I think a lot of people have awakened. Um, the sobering news is, though, the other side has so much power and position and wealth um, and control of so much of the information that goes out mm-hmm. that um, they're just going for the gold now. I really, it seems like they realize, okay, we were getting some resistance building up. We got to cross the finish line before enough of it builds up where they're going to give us a problem. So that's why I just think people should be really prepared personally um, at, men, at a mental level, at a physical level. Because I, I, I think we could be heading into some hard times. We need to be tough. We need to think clearly. What should I do? And, and being ready to protect your family, of course, even just with the things necessary to survive if they do let go of another pandemic, but that's really deadly or something. Okay, i got to be home for a month or so to figure out what I'm going to do. Uh, so I think being prepared is important, but also realizing, like we talked about earlier, you living the truth is vital. You speaking the truth is vital to your friends and family. You must wake them up. You must show them the reports on the shot and the great videos that are out there on so many different topics exposing the lies they've been told. You've got to educate one person at a time. That's the only way this gets done. And it's so vital. Uh, everyone's role in this because every one person you wake up is another person off their side and on Mm -hmm. our side. And the reality is they, their power for the most part, is an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's not real. No, they don't have the numbers. No. And, and even if they, this, I love it's this. It's by minority. Yeah, I heard a yeah. general talking once. And he said this. He said, if the entire United States military and all the police in America, all the sheriffs, all the National Guard, all were under the control of the government and were willing to go against the American people, which I don't think they are, but even if they were, he goes, that's only enough manpower to lock down six cities in America. 
Yeah. It's an illusion. It's a total illusion. That's why when you stand up for what's right, you get attacked because they're scared of you. Yeah. Because they're like, no, no, if more people do this, we can't stop them. We right. can't control them. So that's why they make the example. That's why what they're doing to Trump. Mm-hmm. Like this is crazy. Oh, it's, in- it's to intimidate everybody. Same reason they pulled this bullshit with January 6th, dude. Mm-hmm. Of course. Right. January 6th is an intimidate. The whole thing about January 6th was to scare people like us that's right. from going out in public and protesting at all. Exactly. That's they all that's shut about. shut down the protest because yes. they knew it would get out of control yeah. just like it did in Romania in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christmas We know Eve, how that ended. Yeah. In 1989, the, right the people came out and they were willing to stay even when they're being machine gunned down. Yeah. And all of a sudden the army saw that and the military there and realized these are our own people. And they went on the side of the people and went and grabbed Ceausescu and his wife and executed them. Yeah. And they were free yeah. on Christmas Day of 1989. No, They had no weapons. They had no anything. But they had the courage to stand for the truth. And God blessed their little efforts. And it changed that country. So, yeah, don't ever underestimate just just being a man or a lady and, and standing up with courage, your stand is influencing those around you. And as the crowd multiplies behind you, you'll be amazed at the difference it makes right where you are. You know, there's a story in business. You know, this this podcast, you, you probably don't know this, but I had a podcast before this. Okay. It was called the MFCEO Project. It was It was the number one entrepreneur personal development podcast in the world. All right. And I switched the platform in 2019 to talk about current events because mm-hmm. I recognized a lot of this stuff was going on. And like I said, I didn't put it all together, but I was in, I was I, I felt obligated to to use my platform for that. I felt like it was the most important thing. And but there's this story in business about Dell Computer. Um, you guys remember Dell, right? Oh, yeah. OK. At, at a certain time, you, you guys who are maybe a little bit younger. Dell Computer was the biggest computer company yes. on the planet. They were dominant, okay? Forget about Apple. Apple was like for nerds, right? Apple, Dell was it, yep. all right? And Dell had this customer, and his name was Jeff Jarvis. And Jeff Jarvis ordered a laptop from Dell. And 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 unbeknownst to Dell, Jeff Jarvis was the number one blogger on the planet, all right? And this guy was a loyal Dell customer. He had no, ordered a number of products from Dell. Well, he ordered a laptop and it ended up giving him all kinds of problems. And when he went to Dell to, to say, hey, you know, you guys sold me a lemon laptop. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing the story here because I don't have it fresh off the top of my head. They basically told him to get lost. They said, hey, it is what it is. Tough shit, right? A laptop was 1500 bucks. For 1500 bucks, this guy, this guy made it his mission to use his platform to talk about the, what Dell had done to him as a customer. And because of what he did in response to uh, Dell Computer's you know, bad customer service, he actually ended up costing them multiples of billions of dollars in sales. Okay, that's one person that they didn't know how connected he was. And the reason I tell this story is because you never know who you're converting when you have that one-on-one conversation. In business, I tell this like, hey, you never know who that customer is. So every single customer that you deal with, you have to treat like they're Jeff Jarvis. You have to treat them as if they have the power to make you or break you. And that's something to always keep in mind. And for those of you, there's a little business nugget, all right? But when it comes to what we're talking about here, this concept is also super relevant because we never know who we're talking to 
in reality of of switching them over to you know opening their mind and seeing what's happening mm-hmm. and so many people don't want to have those discussions because of the verbal abuse that's been laid out for the last 12 or 15 years through cancel culture uh through the use of bots on the internet you know the masking didn't help you know the mat where people got berated for not wanting to wear a mask all of these things have intimidated people into even having the conversations necessary that are necessary to have and when you guys think of it and you hear Curtis say one by one, you have to understand that's the same way your business is going to be built. Right. The same way, that because we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs here, the same way you're going to build a business, which is one customer at a time, legitimately, over the course of time, there's no hyper fast way to capture all these customers. This is the mistake most of you make. You think there's this way to get 100, 500, 1,000 customers at a time, when in reality, it's always one person at a time. It's always one person at a time. And the same way that Curtis is describing how we're going to fix this problem is parallel to how you'll build your business. It's one person at a time. And so you need to keep in mind that when you stand up and you share some truth and you you know, share my show or you speak on your own or take the information and voice it yourself, whatever it is you do makes no difference to me. Okay. When you do that, if that changes one person, if that changes one single person's opinion, then it was worthy of doing because we don't know what the ripple effect will actually be. And a lot of you guys get demoralized because you share things and, you know, sometimes you hear only the negative back, but you don't realize that out of all those negative people, there's a few of those people with like little cracks happening in their brain. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy, you're Andy's actually making some sense here. This is, and, and by the way, a lot of you listening, this is how you came to us. You came to us and you're like, holy shit, Andy and DJ are crazy, right? <laughs> and now you heard us make enough sense to where you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are actually telling the truth, mm-hmm. okay? And so I want to remind you of this, and this is a huge point. If we are going to shift the culture the way that we need it to shift and wake people up and win their hearts and minds to win this battle, which is life or death for us, it really is, legitimately life or death, all right, we have to realize that if we speak and we stand and we share information and it gets one single person to change their mind or join the team, that's worth doing. Yep. And that's why it's important to be consistent with your with your truth. Be consistent with the information you share. Don't share the show once or speak up once. Be that way all the time because every single time you do it, you're likely to catch at least one or two more people. And that's one or two more people that are going to go out there and get one or two more people. And there's an exponential ripple effect that happens there. And take that lesson for your business too. But right now it's appropriate to what we got going on in the world because if we don't fix what's going on in the world, you don't have an opportunity to build a business anymore, which is why I switched the format of the show. Because I realized, like, if we don't fix the soil, yeah. nothing is going to grow. That's right. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a story real quick sure. on that point right yeah. there? It's so key. It's from my father. I love it. It's in, from my own family. My mom and dad lived in St. Louis, Missouri in 19- that's so um, That's just so wild, like full uh, circle. I know. Now, being back here, that's 1961, so he was going to- You live here too? No, I wasn't born yet. Okay. And um, But they lived here. He was going to graduate school and getting a PhD in electrical engineering. And he was working full-time for McDonnell Douglas. 
and my mom was pregnant with my sister and the doctor told her, you can't get out of bed the whole pregnancy. You're going to lose this child. She'd already lost four in a row. And they said, you're going to lose this one too. So she stayed in bed, but she used her time wisely. And one of the books she happened to read was a book called Masters of Deceit mm-hmm. by J. Edgar Hoover. And he had been head and founder of the FBI. And he read, wrote this book in 1958 that said, you Americans, if you don't wake up, these masters of deceit, the communists, are going to take you over from within. Well, she read that book in 1961, and it shook her up, my mom. And she told my dad, Jim, you got to read this book. He's like, I have time to read a book because he was working full time in school full time. And, and finally, he goes, OK, I'll read the book. He read it, too. And this is a young couple in their 20s right here in St. Louis, Missouri, back then, but they realized, okay, we got to do something to share this with others. So my mom would read all the St. Louis newspapers every day in bed while she was there, while my dad was at work. And she'd read the letters to the editor. And when someone wrote a letter where they got it, they understood what was going on. She'd call them up because she realized we need to connect with them. We need them to start a group in their home. So she'd call them up and say, loved your letter. You need to start a group in your home of educating people. Um, This Thursday, Invite everyone you know over. My husband's going to come over and give a lecture on communism. And so they would do this one night a week, even though they were so busy with life. Well, my dad tells me the story. He said, I came on one night. It's pouring down rain. I'd been in classes and then at work. And right when I walk in the door, mom said, I got a meeting set up for you tonight. He's like, no, I can't do that. Call him and cancel it, change it, whatever. And she's like, you need to go. You don't know who might be there. So he went. And because of the rain, I guess, only a couple people showed up. But my dad was faithful in the little things, and we all have to be faithful in the little things. Um, And he gave a two-hour lecture to these couple people on communism. When he was done, one of the men came up to my dad and said, if half of what you said is true, we are in serious trouble. And my dad said, well, that's why I'm doing this, even though I'm so busy. They became great friends, and he started borrowing everything my dad had read on communism. And in a couple months, he knew more than my father. And he said, Jim, I'm going to quit my job and write a book about this. And my dad's like, well, don't get carried away. And he goes, no, I've got enough savings to last two years. So this man quit his job, and my mom helped him to do research and stuff and, and studied for two years and wrote a book. He finished the book January of 1964, but he couldn't get anybody to publish it because he'd never written a book before. So he self-published it. But now, 64 America, for those younger Um, Of course, there's no internet. There's no credit cards. If you want a copy of his book, you literally have to send him cash or check in the mail. It's not in a bookstore in America. And in 1964, out of his garage, in eight months, he sold six million copies. And when, when Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States in 1980, he said, I would never have been elected president of the United States if John Stormer in 1964, had not written the book, None Dare Call It Treason, the book from the man that came to my dad's meeting. That's that's it right there. That's the thing. exact that's point yes. that we're talking about. No, I know. That's it, amazing. It, it started the entire that is amazing in America. And one of my first, one of my uh, parents' first groups, too, was a lady. Shit, man, I also, I'm going to be selling some self-published books out of my garage. Yeah. <laughs> Six million books. No, that one back then. That's crazy. That's, that's the insane. best seller of all time yeah. back then. Yeah. Because they didn't. But uh, Phyllis Schlafly, who hopefully you're familiar with that name, she was she died a few years back, but she was a legend out of St. Louis of standing up against this evil tyranny for 50 plus years. Um, she started Eagle Form, a, a ladies group and things. But but that's just a story from my family. 
And I love it the, 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 of just faithfulness. We just be faithful. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what's going to come of it. But I'm telling you, when you plant the seeds of truth and you have the example of living that out to go with it, and this is a key for, I'm, I'm like I said before, I'm a Christian, so it's the key to the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Either what God said is true or it's not. But if it is true, I need to live like that. So when I tell people about him, they go, I can tell he's there because you're different. Mm-hmm. You're totally different than anybody else. So, so he's got to be, th- th- he has to be a reality, which he is. But, but that's, that's what this is. If you want people to believe in what you say is true, you have to have convinced them by your life that you, it is true and mm-hmm. you mean business. And they can see how you do. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What a cool story. Yeah. I love that. That's such a great example of the point that I was trying to make. Like that is exactly what I'm talking about. You guys have no idea who you're influencing or who's going to wake up or who's going to become the dragon slayer, right? Like that's right. That's a huge deal. And and you guys, because you share something once or twice, you think you did your job. No. Do you think those people are going to stop because you shared something once or twice? Hmm. These people are coming for you, man. They're coming for all of us. They're coming for everything American. They're coming for our way of life. They're coming for our future. They're coming for your kid's future. And they plan on taking it. They don't plan on losing. So when you think about like what you're contributing and what you're saying and what you're doing to stand up, you should think about that. That's right. And if you don't contribute now, when it's easy, it's sharing the podcast, it's sending people some uh, good article, it's doing these simple little things, it's eventually going to be, it's the cost is blood. Yeah. It just, it is. If you study world history, once you have the chains upon you, that's the only thing that has ever freed people. <laughs> well, we're seeing that more and more, man. Like, you know, there's a bunch of people. Um, one of the guys from InfoWars, you know, and you guys can think what you want about Alex Jones. It's real, whatever. I, I don't, it's whatever, man. I think he says some good shit. I think he says some off the wall shit. But one of the guys off of his show just got sentenced to, to prison, in a federal prison, for something he said about January 6th. For something he said. That is communism. I know that is that should scare the shit out of every single one of you guys. And one of the leaders progressing further every single day. I know. And one of the no, there's January 6th. They're setting new precedent with that. Yeah. Where they're they're like a president. Oh, you told people to go over to the Capitol. And so you're part of this thing, too. We're throwing you in prison the rest of your life. But one of the Oath Keeper, the leader of the Oath Keepers, just a month or so ago, this was a significant case. He was not even at January 6th. And he got 18 years in prison. Yeah. He was not there. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you, what are you talking about? I didn't even go to that. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You're just associated with it. So when they start arresting you by association, we're all in trouble. Yes. Because we and should all be connected to the, some good the, people. The justice system in certain areas of the country is fully weaponized right yes. now, depending on what state you live into. Yeah. Okay. So we have to be aware of this because if it spreads to everywhere, that means that any of us will be next. And I'm going to tell you this, dude. If we don't get through this next election and we don't get someone else in there, you could say who, anyone else that's not part of this deal, they're going to come for me and they're going to come for people like you, Curtis, and they're going to yeah. come for all of anybody who's been speaking up. And you guys don't have anybody speaking up for you anymore. And now all of a sudden you're at their will. So you can either join in now and start using your voice, like you said, when it's easy. Yeah. And you may feel like it's not easy right now, but it's easy. Oh, boy. Okay. Absolutely. The, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to get yelled at at your work or yelled at by some of your peers, right? Who don't understand what's going on, which gives you an opportunity to explain. But if this goes another year or two and you don't join in, 
you're not going to have anybody to fight for you because everybody that's fighting for you will either be in jail or be dead. And that is real shit. Okay. Do you think it's comfortable for me to come on this show every day knowing that? No, it's not. But I do it because it matters. And when I tell you guys to join in and fucking join me, it's because I know what's going to happen if you don't. So when I say share the fucking show, that's why I tell you to share the show. It, it, it gets old. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, I, I, we come in here, you're dedicating your life, I'm dedicating my life, he's dedicating his life, you got all these other people, and people think that we can carry the whole water up the hill, man. It's not going to work. Nope. And so unless you guys join in now, like, and, and I mean like join in, get engaged, get vocal, get loud, be aggressive with it. Unless you join in with that now, there ain't going to be an opportunity later. Because do you think you're going to speak up when there's nobody else speaking up for you and they're coming legitimately to check if you have calluses on your hands or not? No, you're going to cower. And if you're not part of their group, they're going to kill you. And that that's not alarmist shit. That's, that's a repeat of historical fact that has happened over and over and over. Yeah. Communism has killed more people in the 1900s than every single war ever fought combined in the history of humankind. So remember that. Yeah, and they slaughtered those people. It's important brutally. to remember. Brutally, but in times of peace. Yeah. It wasn't from wars. It was the government slaughtering its own people in times of peace. None of the statistics from World War One or World War Two are added into that. And so, yeah, that's what communism looks like. The face of it is death. It's the greatest killing machine in the history of the world. And it's gaining momentum because the elites and the globalists and the people behind the scenes, the bankers, the people that control the purse strings of the world, they love communism because they'll do the dirty work for those people of, of getting control of every person. And China is the model for the world. And they openly talk about that. Klaus Schwab does at the World yeah. Economic Forum, but also the Rockefeller family, which is significant. But in 1973, David Rockefeller went over to China. And that's when Mao was in power. And if a lot of you aren't familiar with Mao Zedong, he slaughtered between 60 and 80 million of his own people in times of peace so that he's a butcher. And he went over there, David Rockefeller, to visit him. And he said this when he came back in a New York Times editorial that you can still read. It's on the Internet from 1973. He said, whatever happened to create what Mao has in China was worth it. And it is the model for the world. So that's what these people think about that. Well, yeah, if you had to kill 60, 80 million people that were not going along, that's fine. But what they got now, that's the model for the world. And that's when all of the funds from America started dumping into China. If you study the history of the Soviet Union, it was the bankers of the world that kept giving them $100 million loans in the 20s and the 30s because they wanted an enemy there. It's very key in being able to control people when you have threats around. That's why they love the pandemic. Oh, you're scared of this. Because mm -hmm. when you're fearful, you're not thinking. You're just obeying. And they, and they know that. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Uh, just live a better example? Work to speak up? Work to stand up? Yeah, just the, sim the simple things, the consistency of your life. Even what you all do here, Andy, with the, you know, working out and taking care of yourself so you have a right frame of mind. When you're healthy, when you get up early and exercise and you're ready for the day, you're just, you're more alert, you're more, you're tougher, which you need, we need to be. We need to be a tough, healthy, strong people. 
um, that are very kind to those around us, helping pull them up, helping encourage them to get involved and to start taking baby steps to changing the direction of their life if they haven't built in the habits of character and encourage and things like that. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's the little things. They want us to think it has to be a top-down solution, and they want us to think that so we won't do anything. But I'm telling you this, it's never a top-down solution. It always is from the bottom up. Everything, I've, as I've read so much history in my life, it's always the movements start from the bottom up. Even what's happened to our country, my movies, what they're about. They're about how a small group of people back in the 20s said, we're going to take this thing down. And they slowly started influencing one person at a time and started getting in positions of power and, and hiring from within and follow, you know, hiring like-minded people and fellow travelers and things. And all of a sudden we wake up a hundred years later and go, man, they've almost taken over this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was the grassroots that did that. Well, it sounds like you're talking about the concept of personal excellence to me. Yes. I like to say personal excellence is the ultimate rebellion. That's what I I think. I think that's a fact. I think you just described it. That's right. Um, You know, one thing that you were just saying that I think is important to touch on before we wrap up is, you know, one thing that those people didn't have that we have is the internet. That's right. Okay. So while it took them a hundred years, one by one by one, it doesn't have to take us a hundred years. It could take us literally one year because of the connectivity of the world. If you guys all chose to speak up, they cannot censor every single person on the internet, off the internet. It'd be too obvious. They can't do it. They won't have anything. They won't have any money. They won't have any revenue. They won't have it. They won't have anything. And by the way, these far left progressive weirdos that are the useful idiots of this, they don't have the economic buying power to support these businesses and these sites anyway. So when we look at like who has the actual control, we have the control. We just don't realize we have the control. We have the ability to choose where we spend our money. We have the ability to choose how we live our lives. We have the ability to choose what we say and how we stand for things. And we have this amazing technology called the internet that they have convinced a lot of you guys, well, I don't want to speak up because they shadow ban me. Fuck, bro. I live my life shadow banned. And I still reach millions of people. I am the shadow. Yeah, no, dude. <laughs> the point is, is if you all join in and you all started rowing the boat along with the other people rowing the boat, this would turn around very quickly. This wouldn't take a hundred years. It could be done very, very quickly. You could change your entire life in 90 days, man. What if every single person listening to this show right now said, dude, for the next 90 days and, and beyond, I'm going to be a changed human being. I am going to live the values of personal excellence. I am going to get fit. I am going to consume the right information. I am going to limit my time on social media. I am going to be a good friend. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good uh, father. I'm going to be a good mother. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to be a good, uh, you know, facilitator of goodwill through my community. And I'm going to live the example so that my neighbors and my community and my friends and my peers can witness this and understand what it looks like. Oh, and by the way, you'll be a lot happier. You'll be a lot lot more financially successful and you will feel better about yourself in general. So not only do we win in society, but you win in life by doing that. And that's the solution that we have and we can do it very fast, but it's going to take action on your individual part. Nobody can do this for you. I can't do it for you. Curtis can't do it for you. Nobody out here that you, Trump can't do it for you. Nobody can do this. It's only you. And it's done at an individual level. And so when you ask yourself, what is the solution? How are we going to change this? Get your ass off the couch and go look in the mirror because that's the solution. You have to start to work on that. When people see that change, 
they change. When they change, other people's change. When other people change, we have a big movement. That's called a movement. And then they have no power. They only have power by keeping us silent, by keeping us sick, by keeping us entertained, by keeping our attention on other things, by keeping us struggling financially so that we can't pay attention to what's going on. These are their tools of manipulation and we fall for them over and over and over again. So when you wonder who's coming to fix this, get up and look in the mirror because the only person that can fix this is you. That's right. Yeah. Well, anyway, get off my soapbox for a minute. <laughs> Listen, I really appreciate you making time for us, man. I know you're busy. You're traveling around doing a lot of good work. Uh, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you do. Yeah. Um, I would have not tied all this together had it not been for watching these films. If you right. guys haven't watched Agenda and Agenda 2, these are absolute must-watch films. They will tie it all together for you better than we could ever do on this show. They are perfectly produced. They go from A to Z of what's going on, and, and it allow you to see. And I, I especially encourage those of you who listen to the show who maybe do lean a little bit left who maybe do, you know, tend to be more of the, you know, what I call granola crowd, right? Like the, the hippie-ish crowd, right? Bro, I'm cool with you guys too, right? I'm just saying, you know who I'm talking about. Like you guys who who are, are of the uh, environmental protection mindset, realize that that is okay, but also realize where the limits are and what you're being a part of when you blindly support a lot of these things going on, all right? Go watch the films. That's all I ask. I think they're each, what, a couple hours? Yeah, 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, for, for 180 minutes of, of time, you're going to get a very great perspective on what's actually going on, and it will allow you to navigate your life at a much better pace. So um, I just appreciate everything you're doing, and I appreciate you making time for this, and, and what you're doing is a big deal. It's historically relevant. And if I ever become president, I'll give you a medal for it. All right. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So uh, I know you don't do it for that, but like, you know, I'm, I'm glad people like you exist. Thank it's you. It's a big deal, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. A lot. You're welcome to come on anytime. Talk about this. Thank you. Know. you. So, so that, uh, just to clarify, that, agendadocumentary.com. Yeah. Agendadocumentary.com. You can buy the movies there if you like physical copies. And I encourage people to get physical copies of every good book you like, every good video you like, because that's going to be part of the censorship that's Erasing coming. the history. Yeah, my YouTube channel, they just deleted the whole thing with no warnings, no strikes. Um, no, they hate truth. And when they realize you're speaking it, they do what they can to rub you out. And so um, I also have something called Agenda Weekly. Are you familiar with that mm -hmm. at all? agendaweekly.com. I each week have a newsletter. Here's all the key things that happened. Um, here's some prayer and action items. And then a video of me talking about a specific issue that people need to be aware about. It's like 30 to 40 minutes. My, my last week's one was on courage. How you have to have courage. And um, it's also the videos are available for free on Rumble that platform. If you type in Curtis Powers, go to that page. And I encourage you all to, I think you'll enjoy it because it's just on courage, yeah. how we have to have courage right now. Um, but Curtis Powers at Rumble, and you can just follow and like there. So each week, I just do one video a week. And when it comes up, you can watch that and be more informed about what's going on. All right. How can people financially support you? Because this is a big thing. It's very important to support people who are doing this kind of work financially, because these people that are in control find ways to pull finances from people, okay? And one day I'll share how they do that for me as well, um, but I'm not going to today. So how can they, how can they yeah. share, how can they do that for you? 
Well, definitely buying the videos at agendadocumentary.com is a huge blessing, but then you have a physical copy to share with family and friends. Also, um, agendaweekly.com, it's a little subscription-based thing to try to fund us because I don't have any mm-hmm. big co- George Soros is not funding me or anybody. Right. It's $5 a month. But every week we send you a full review of the news, what's going on, key things, so you won't have to waste your whole week watching the news. You'll be able to go do something, but we'll watch the news all week and then summarize it for you. Here's the curious key things now go do something with your time awesome love that thank you so much man you're welcome like for real like i don't i don't one day you'll know how grateful i am for what you do i know we don't we've only met just today but uh i understand the gravity and the impact of what's going on and i just really 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 appreciate it well thank you so much all right guys that's the show go pay the fee don't be a hoe show the show Sleeping on the floor, now my jewelry box froze. Fuck a bowl, fuck a stove, counted millions in the cold. Bad bitch, booted swole, got her on bankroll. Can't fold, does a no headshot, case closed.